Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. And the book of Deuteronomy is really about the end of the journey for Israel. And so since it's been eight weeks, since I've taught from this book, I'd like to do a little review before we get into the teaching of God's word. But before we do any of that, I just want to give thanksgiving to the Lord for this day that he's given us. And Father, there's a lot going on in our nation today. Right now, up in Milwaukee, they're doing debates with the Republican candidates for president, many of them. There are several candidates on that docket. Not all are at the debates. But, Lord, our country is very concerned about the direction. Some say and believe it's heading in the right path. Others want to see it turn back a bit. And Lord, we here in the church desire to have a country where we are able to continue to proclaim the Word of God in a place where our our children, our grandchildren can be raised to know the Lord. But then we also realize, Lord, throughout the world there are countries where Christian faith is exploding far greater than it is here in the United States. And they're doing that in countries where it is unlawful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet the gospel is spreading and people are getting saved. and The church is growing. So sometimes, Lord, we may desire one thing. And you as a good father know this is actually what you need. Your hearts have drifted from me. And with pressure and pain, perhaps your hearts will turn back toward me once again. Let that be our prayer, Lord, for the church, for the people of our country, that our hearts would turn back toward you, that there would be a revival in this land, Lord, that we would be a people who desire to grow in our faith, to serve you all the days of our life, as we will see tonight. Even that phrasing, all the days of your life, used in Deuteronomy chapter 12, your desire for the children of Israel then, still a desire for your people today. So I thank you, Lord, for not only saving me spiritually, Lord, but two months ago, Lord, saving me from what could have been a real life-changing event in my life with the fracturing of a joint in my neck. But Lord, you've allowed that to heal. And you've allowed me to continue to stand in this pulpit and to proclaim your word. And I give you praise for that. Be with us tonight, Lord, as we look into your word. May it be a blessing to our souls. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So I'm going to do a little review. So these things should be familiar to you, but a reminder that the book of Deuteronomy, actually the title comes from the Septuagint, and it actually means second law. And in what we know of as the book of Deuteronomy, we have a rehearsing of the laws that God gave through Moses to the children of Israel. Moses rehearsing to the second generation if you recall, the first generation that came out of Egypt had faith to come out of Egypt, but they did not have faith to enter into the promised land. And because of that, God caused them to stay in the wilderness for 40 years until they all died there in the wilderness, all but Joshua and Caleb of that generation Everyone died because they did not have faith to enter in. So it is a rehearsing. It is a type of the second law. But that is the title that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, gave to this book. The Hebrew title comes from the first words there in Deuteronomy 1.1, where it begins by saying these are the words so that is the hebrew title these that's the english of the hebrew these are the words these are the words that moses spoke to the second generation of the children of israel before they went up to the possess the promised land and in deuteronomy he encourages that next generation and prepares them as they prepare to enter into the promised land. Romans 15:4 tells us, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And Moses, in many ways, rehearsed the history of the children of Israel for them, that they, through patience and comfort, might have hope to prepare them to go into the promised land and also not to make the same mistakes that their parents had made that caused their parents to remain in the wilderness. Their parents who had faith to come out of Egypt, but not enough faith to enter in to the rest that God had prepared for them. So in chapter one, we find the call to the second generation of Israel to go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give them and their descendants after them. Deuteronomy 1, verse 8. And when God called the first generation of Israel to go in to possess the land, in verse 21, we learn that they sent 12 spies into the land because they just, they were afraid. They said, we've never been there before. Send in 12 spies. And it seemed good for Moses that they would do this. It was the allowable will of God that they would do this. But when the spies came back, they said that the land is everything that God advertised, that the fruit is large and gigantic and very fruitful, a land filled with milk and honey. But also the people are very large, they have great cities, and there's no way that we can possess the land. So 10 of the 12 
spies tried to discourage the people, even though Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 13.30, they said, this is actually Caleb speaking, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. But sadly, the first generation that came out of Egypt did not have faith to enter into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, Moses encourages Israel by recounting their 30 years in the wilderness of how God blessed all, and he used those words, all the work of their hands in a very great wilderness, making sure that Israel lacked nothing. You know, you think about a wilderness and you think, about a place where really people don't live because it's so difficult to dwell in a wilderness. You might visit a desert, but most people don't make their home in a desert, and especially not for 40 years. And yet during that time, God blessed all the work of their hands, even in a very great wilderness. And yet that generation died there in the wilderness But here in Deuteronomy 2.24, Yahweh called the second generation, the children, to go up and to possess the land. And they did so by beginning a war with Sion, king of Heshbon. And though technically not part of the promised land, Israel began their conquest on the east side of the Jordan River by defeating Sion, king of the Amorites, and by taking his lands. In chapter 3, we immediately learn of Og, the king of Bashan, who was one of the last of the Rephaim, last of the giants, a people of the old race of giants. And they took Sion, king of Heshbon, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, Og, king of Bashan, in Deuteronomy chapter 3. They took their territory, and they already had begun to possess some of the land, though outside the promised land proper. But to encourage them, God basically saying, just as I gave you victory over these two great kings, so will I give you victory in the promised land. Deuteronomy 3:21 and 22 says, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. God is with you. God fights for you. And I think sometimes we forget about that in the day and age that we live in, that the Lord Jesus Christ fights for us, with us, and gives us the ability, as we will see in a moment, to fight alongside the Lord himself. Chapter 3 closes out in verses 23 through 29 of Moses, reminding the children of Israel of why he was unable to enter into the promised land. So he just reminded them briefly I'm not going with you, and he gave the reasons why. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, their parents had failed to hear and obey all that Yahweh had commanded them to do. And so now it was the kids' turn. Now the kids, well, some of them may have been up around 60 
30, 40, and all the way down to babies. But some of those kids whose parents died in the wilderness, it was everyone who was 20 and under. So those who were 20, now they're 60 years old. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. But it was their turn to keep the statutes, the judgments, the commandments of the Lord to possess the promised land. Deuteronomy 4.9, the Lord said, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. I prayed that, all, that phrase, all the days of our life, to teach them to your children and your grandchildren. I think that this that phrase really spoke to me as I was kind of rehearsing Deuteronomy this morning. But that phrase, all the days of your life, I've seen so many come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they do well for a season, but they fail in that regard to keep the Lord's word in their hearts all the days of their life. They fail to pass on their faith to their children and to their grandchildren. But this is the call that the Lord has given Israel. It's the call that the Lord gives to us as well. Now this, in Deuteronomy 4 again, Moses next calls for Israel to search history. From creation until that very day, and I think we could say the same thing, to search history from creation until now. But the Lord specifically saying to Israel, search from creation to this day to see if Yahweh has ever done the things that he has done for your people. Throughout all the world, no nation, God had never showed the love that he had toward Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, choosing their descendants to receive the promised land. And even though the land was filled with nations mightier and greater than they, Israel was to keep the statutes, the judgments, the commandments that they might live in the land, they and their children. One of the things about faith that we need to realize that it's not just for us to get to heaven, but it is something that we are to pass on to the next generation. We are, as we get older in our faith, to be about a work of preparation, preparing our children, our grandchildren for the days that they need to take a stand and the days that are coming if the Lord should tarry. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses reminds Israel that they were in Horeb. They were there at the mountain of God. So once again, all those who were 20 years old and under, and they may have been little children, but I can tell you as a little boy, of five, six, seven years old, the Lord was speaking to my heart early in my life, and I remember some of those moments vividly. And so I don't discount the faith of a small child. And many of these, he's talking to them as if they had all seen it. But the only ones who actually had seen it was Moses. His brother Aaron, his sister Miriam had died by now. The rest of the generation had died. Joshua and Caleb, they, they remember, they were there, but they're much older as well. And then everyone who is 20 years old and under. 
But he said in Deuteronomy 5.22 that God spoke his law from the midst of the fire, the cloud, the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added, no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And thus he called them to learn and to observe Yahweh's law as he prepared Israel to enter into the land. Moses then in chapter 5 verses 1 through 24 1 through 22, he rehearsed the Ten Commandments. That's partly perhaps why the Septuagint calls this book Deuteronomy, the second law, because we have a second giving of the Ten Commandments, the same commandments as found in Exodus chapter 20, also found here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy 5.29, the word says that they were to fear Israel was to fear and always keep all of Yahweh's commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Do you see that repetitive thing that we see happening in these first five chapters? That faith was not merely for the adults, but also for their children and their children after them. They were to fear. A type of fear, not a dread fear, but a fear of reverence a godly fear of awe. It's the type of fear that we should have through faith in Jesus Christ today. Deuteronomy 6. Yahweh had commanded Moses to teach the children of Israel his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, in order that they might observe them in the land that they were about to possess. Deuteronomy 6, a very rich chapter in the Bible. Here we have the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this verse is still quoted daily in Israel to this very day, especially by the Orthodox Jews. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. A couple of things we notice about the Shema is that when it mentions the word God here, it's in the plural form. It's Elohim in the plural form. This is known as a plural intensive where two or more take on a singular meaning. And the second, we find the Lord is one. This is the Hebrew word ikad. And it speaks about two or more being one. And we know today that God in three persons, unique and distinct forms, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then in the very next verse, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In Mark 12:30, Jesus add, added mind to this. So you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Israel was even, as we go on in chapter 6, they were to bind the word of God. To teach them to write out their word, their commandments, the statutes, the judgments. They didn't have Bibles like we have today. They didn't have um, electronic Bibles that they could carry around with them on a phone. 
They couldn't hear the word of God being read to them through some headphones or um, on the radio. When it's talking about writing it out and binding these words to their hearts, it is writing out these verses, having memory verses, carrying them around with them, that they would learn to fear and serve Yahweh, to take oaths in his names that the Lord would be in their heart, these statutes, commandments, and judgments always, that they would keep and observe these commandments by the living God's way, by observing his testimony, his statutes, his judgments. By doing so, they would be able to pass on their faith to their children and to their children's children. Deuteronomy 7, Israel was to totally remove the inhabitants of the land, any reminder of the idols, because they never completely obeyed this commandment. The inhabitants of the land actually would become irritants and thorns to harass Israel. But Israel was to set apart. They were to be set apart because Yahweh's love for them and yet they did not follow through with these commands. And so they allowed the foreigners to remain. And it wasn't that God, and we read through the Pentateuch in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We read through this and we find that God never said you couldn't have foreigners living among you. But what he did say, if the foreigners lived among you, they needed to live among you as one of you. They needed to worship as one of you. But that's not what Israel allowed to happen. They allowed foreigners to continue to live as they had always lived. And that truly did become irritants and thorns in their sides. Even though in Deuteronomy 7, 6, God said, you were the least of all the people they were to be a holy people unto the Lord, that God had chosen them to be his own special treasure, that they would be a witness to all the earth. And in verse 22, I really like this. I mentioned it as we taught through it a few months ago. But the Lord said, when you go in the land, I'm not going to drive out the inhabitants all at once. It wouldn't be any good if I would do that because the land is too great. They didn't have enough people at the time to fill the land, so they needed to have a population growth, one. So if God would have allowed Israel to drive all the other nations out immediately, then the cities would have went into ruin, but also the wild beasts would have come into their land. But God said in Deuteronomy 7.22 that you will do so little by little. As they continue to faithfully serve the Lord, their population would increase until they filled the land. And I think in a similar way, God doesn't always take all of our shortcomings. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. We come with baggage. And sometimes God drops some of that baggage for us. 
I was addicted to drugs, someone might say, but after I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I never had a desire to take any drugs again. Sometimes God does that for an individual and just gets rid of it. But more often than not, I think God doesn't take away all of our shortcomings and remove them instantly, those sins, because he wants us to work through them. He wants us to strengthen our faith in our relationship with him so that little by little he works in our lives that we might be strengthened as followers of Christ. Deuteronomy 8. Israel is given three requirements here to keep, walk, and fear in Deuteronomy 8 verse 6. That word in the Hebrew for keep is the Hebrew word shamar and it means to hedge about with thorns, to watch, to keep guard. So to hedge about with thorns. We found find this again with Abraham. In Genesis 18, 19, God says about Abraham, for I've known him in order that he might command his children and his household after him, that they keep, same word, shamar, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken. So they are to keep, we are to keep, to hedge about with thorns that we might do righteousness and judge, justice. Jesus, will look at this on Sunday, he'll say to the children of Israel of his day, if you were the children of Abraham, then you would do the works of Abraham. We're going to come right back to Genesis 18, verse 19, again on Sunday, because what, what's the works of Abraham? Well, partly that he and his children would do righteousness and justice. We'll look at that again on Sunday. Israel was to conduct themselves in righteousness and justice with God, with others, uh, with themselves, the rest of creation. As Yahweh would humble and test them in the wilderness, he would continue to humble and test them in the promised land. But the purpose of the humbling and testing we learn here in Deuteronomy 8 that he might do them good. When God tests us, there's always a purpose behind it. That Deuteronomy 8:16, he might do good in the end. So in Deuteronomy 9, the people of the promised land were greater and mightier than Israel. They were nations that the people were even greater and taller than Israel. Their cities were great walled cities. Yet Yahweh promised to go before them as a consuming fire in order to destroy and to bring these nations down. And then he said, in order that Israel could drive them out and destroy them. Do you get that? God says, I'll go before you as a consuming fire in order that I can bring down the nations before you that you can go with me and destroy and bring down these nations. God wanted Israel to participate in the battle. 
And Moses, understanding the hearts of the children of Israel, he warned them that when they began to take possession of the land, that they might think that God was working in their behalf because of something that they had done or because of who they were. But Moses warned them, although he didn't use the word pride, he said, don't be lifted up. Don't think that God is working on your behalf because of your own righteousness or because of your connection to Abraham, but because of God's grace. And that is true to this day through Jesus Christ, that he works in our lives because of God's grace, because we truly, and me especially, are a bunch of stiff-necked, and I mean stiff-necked, people. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Don't set aside the grace of God. Deuteronomy 10, in verses 1 through 5, Moses retells how he received the Ten Commandments a second time. In verses 9 through 6, he tells of Eliezer's secession as high priest following the death of his father Aaron and about the tribe of Levi being set apart to assist the priest in Israel and their duties. And we're going to come back to the tribe of Levi in chapter 12 in a moment. In verses 10 and 11, Moses returns to his narrative to finish the accounts of receiving the Ten Commandments. And finally, in verses 12 through 22, we're given a wonderful and rich proclamation about the Lord God and how we are to worship him. And I would encourage you um, either tonight or tomorrow, look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. It's a very rich portion of scripture. It will fill you with wonder and awe. It just meditate on that portion. I'm not going to read it now because that's not our objective tonight, but I'm giving you homework to do it yourself. Deuteronomy 11. Now we have a new aspect of blessing and cursing that God gives to the children of Israel. We'll learn more about it in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, and then we'll actually see it take place in Joshua chapter 8. But in verses 1 through 7, Moses reminds Israel of the power of God that they had seen with their own eyes from the exodus from Egypt throughout the 40 years in the wilderness and while they were camped on the east side of the Jordan River. He prepares them to enter into the promised land. In verses 8 and 9, Yahweh charges, commands them to keep Yahweh's commandments, statutes, and laws. And they were not given to weaken the children of Israel. A lot of people think that the word of God makes us weak, like we're weak-minded people. We need a crutch. And I would 100% say that I need Jesus, and he's the crutch that I need. But it doesn't make me weak. It makes me, should make me humble and meek but not weak. So by keeping Yahweh's charge, his commandments, his statutes and laws, it would actually prolong their days in the promised land. In verses 12, 9 through 12, he spoke of the land flowing with milk and honey. 
13 through 15, he promises rain connected to the faithfulness of the love of Yahweh and the people's faithfulness to keep his statutes and laws. He warns them in verses 16 and 17 to take heed to themselves, to keep that word shamar again, to hedge about with thorns, to watch, to guard their lives. 18 through 25, he promises if they would do all these commandments, the Lord promised in verses 22 and 23, to love the Lord their God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast, then Yahweh would drive out all these inhabitants before you and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourself. And 26 through 32, the blessings would come upon Israel again if they walked in obedience to the Lord. But if they chose not to, then the curses would come. So it really pictures a very legal relationship with the Lord. And it's even easy for us today to fall into kind of this legal trap, this legalism in our faith. But thankfully, God knows that we never can leave up, live up to these laws, these commandments, these judgments. It's why he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins in order that we might be able to come into a relationship with him because of the work that he did on the cross. The laws, we may never forget, Galatians 3.24, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Finally, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Key verses, verses 8 and 9. You shall not at all do as we are here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come into the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. So a good reminder as we begin this study for Israel, and they fail in this, to not do what every man deems is right in his own eyes. This is a condemnation that would plague Israel during the book of Judges, three or four hundred years, as they would do what was right in their own eyes. So verses 1 through 4, the Word of God tells us, Deuteronomy chapter 12, these are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you to possess all the days that you live on this earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, the high mountains, on the hills and under every green tree. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images and their gods and destroy the name from that place. Destroy the names of the gods from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. So Israel, as they came into the promised land, and they were to observe, they were to keep God's statutes, His judgments, all the days of their life as you live on the earth. So we're going to live on into eternity. While we're here on this earth, we're to walk in the ways of the Lord all the days of our lives. I've mentioned this earlier in a 
the long introduction of that review of Deuteronomy 1 through 11, that there's a lot of Christians who start off well, they do well for a season, but they fall away. They don't, they're not careful to observe and walk in the ways of the Lord all the days that they live on the earth. But God promised Israel, if they would do so, that they would utterly destroy all the nations before them, and then they were to destroy the gods that they served, the high places on the high mountains, on the hills, under every green tree. So this is talking about the occultic worship of the pagans who lived in the land. And and this seems horrific that they were go to go in and to destroy God gave, we must never forget, God gave the Amalekites 400 years before their destruction came. It was even longer than 400 years, but four generations, the sins of the Amalekites had not come to its height yet. God gave them time. And when Israel came in, they were to utterly destroy every pagan place of worship, their altars, their sacred pillars, their wooden images, their carved images, and the names of these pagan gods, whether on the high mountains, on the hills, or under every green tree. Under every green tree in the Hebrew, it's connected to the evergreen tree. It's connected to the worship of Asherah, the wife of the uh, pagan god El, considered the goddess of fertility and the sacred pillars. These are the stone pillars that's associated with the worship of Baal. And they were to destroy these things, not even to bring up the names of these gods. The second commandment in Deuteronomy 5, 7, you shall have no other god before me. And Israel not was to not only not have any other gods, but they were not to worship Yahweh as the pagans worshipped. So they were to destroy these places of worship. Lest, he says, Deuteronomy 20:18, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done before their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. So they were to get rid of it. We need to understand that behind the pagan gods, the demonic worship, is these demonic forces at hand. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it's not just some false gods that had no power There were demonic powers behind these gods. Israel then was to destroy those places of worship, not even mention the names of those gods. Israel ultimately failed to do so. Deuteronomy 5 through 7, chapter 12. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vow, vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, the firstborn of your herds and flocks. You shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice 
in all which you have put your hand, you and your household, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So the pagans worship just anywhere. But God says, you're going to worship in that place, the city where I will put my name. The pagans would gather anywhere to worship, and Israel was to gather in one place where God would put his name. And that changed until the temple was built in Jerusalem in the days of Solomon. Oh, they began with the tabernacle in Gilgal. It moved to Shiloh, to Nob, and finally to Gibeon until David brought it there to Jerusalem. And finally Solomon took away the tabernacle of the tent and built a permanent dwelling, a temple there in Jerusalem. But all of Israel was to gather in one place to worship the Lord. There was to be community in the nation of Israel. I think that's important for us. That we worship together. That we have community. Sadly, every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Deuteronomy 12, verse 8, You shall not do as we do here today. There in the wilderness, every man did what was right in his own eye. In verse 9, For as yet you have not come to your rest, the inheritance which the Lord your God has given to you. They were not to do as they had done in the wilderness, partly because God said, you haven't entered your rest yet. It's interesting that throughout a lot of church history, we talk about the rest that God has for us. Many people refer to heaven as that rest, and ultimately that is true. But that's not what God is talking about here. The rest that he had for Israel was the promised land. And yet when they entered the promised land, they were immediately soldiers of war. There were battles in the promised land, but that is the rest that the Lord had for them this side of heaven. Now there is a rest for believers this side of heaven's glory that Jesus, he bore our sins upon the cross that through faith in his name we might be saved, that we might be part of that spiritual battle that takes place on the earth this side of heaven in the land that the Lord has given us. In verses 10 through 14, But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is given you to inherit, so that you dwell in safety, then there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all I command you, the, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all the choice offerings which you vowed to the Lord. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is in your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed, verse 13, to yourself, that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in the one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings. There you shall do all that I command you. 
So once the Lord gave them rest from all their enemies, once they were able to go and to worship the Lord in the place where the Lord put his name, either at the tabernacle, finally at the temple, they were go to go there and to worship with their sons and their daughters, with their male and female servants. We could say with their employees today, with the Levites, uh, other believers that were in their gates, in their land. They were not to offer just in any place, but in the place that the Lord required for them. And I think it's good for us to come and gather together as the church today to worship together. We live in a generation where the children are quickly falling away because parents have not been faithful to the Lord in their own generation they haven't seen the importance of walking in fellowship with the Lord, of gathering together to worship the Lord. Their children haven't seen this example. Therefore, their children have been given over to the gods of this age. Because our generation many times have not been faithful to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why scripture encourages us in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Well, today it's as if the manner of many, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. The more troubles we have on this earth, the more it should cause us to want to draw near to Christ and the his church today 15 through 19 however you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates whatever your hearts desire according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you the unclean and the clean you may eat of it of the gazelle and the deer alike so in the book of Leviticus we learn that when they were in the wilderness, they couldn't kill an oxen, a ram, a lamb, a goat, just anywhere in the camp. They had to come and present it before the tabernacle of the Lord. Well, this was somewhat feasible because they were camping in circumference around the tabernacle itself. But once in the promised land, they're going to be spread out, uh, much like the size, they say, Israel proper today in the size of Lake Michigan or New Jersey. So it wouldn't be feasible for, hey, I want to have a barbecue this weekend, but we got to go down to Jerusalem and slaughter the meat there before the Lord. God is basically saying, you can slaughter your rams, your oxen, your um, lambs, your goats, just as you slaughter a gazelle or a deer, that you might have a barbecue at your homes. Verse 16, only you shall eat, you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. And that was part of the Leviticus. When they were in the promised land, they poured out the blood before the Lord. Here, they pour it out on the earth like water. It's talking about having a kosher diet. Verse 17, you may 
not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or oil, the firstborn of your herd or flock or any of your offerings which you vow or your freewill offerings or the heave offerings of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place where the Lord your God chooses. chooses. You and your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levites who are within your gates, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all which he has put in your hand. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in the land. So in the wilderness, they had to slaughter the animals at the tabernacle. But once in the land, the only animals that they had to bring to the temple or to the tabernacle in that one place in the land was the offerings that they had vowed to the Lord. But the rest of the animals, they were allowed to have their barbecues. They were allowed to eat. But when they went to worship, they were to worship with their children, with the male and female servants, with the Levites. They were to worship and rejoice together before the Lord. So really talking about the unity. They were 12, technically 13 distinct tribes that formed one nation, but they were to keep that unity by the Levites being spread out throughout all the land with no inheritance, but also by the 12 tribes always coming and worshiping before the Lord, their God. So again, he kind of repeats some of the same things. 20 through 28, the Lord your God, when he enlarges your border as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat. I want steak. (laughs) Sometimes we just want a good steak. You may eat as much meat as your heart desires. And if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you. You may eat within your gates as much as your heart's desire. Verse 22, just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, you may eat them. The unclean and the clean may eat eat them. So here, I just want the unclean and the clean here is not referring to unclean and clean animals. It's referring to those who are ceremonially clean and those who are not ceremonially clean. They can eat meat. Whether you're clean and able to worship before the Lord at the temple of God or you're unclean and unable to worship before the Lord at the temple of God, you may eat to your heart's desire. Verse 23, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. Verse 25, you shall not eat it, that it may be well with you and your children after you, that you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have which your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place that the Lord chooses. You shall offer your burnt offerings, your meat, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of the sacrifice shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat, observe and obey all the words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do 
what is good and right in the sight of the Lord. So he talked about the clean and the unclean, not referring to the animals, though there were unclean and clean animals, but this is referring to people either being ceremonially clean or not. Again, he repeats that blood is the life. In Leviticus 17:11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. So they were to not eat the blood because blood is the life. They were to hold to that kosher diet. They were not to sacrifice to the Lord just anywhere, but in that city that the Lord, where he placed the tabernacle of the temple, there they were to bring their offerings unto the Lord. There they were to eat a fellowship meal, have communion with the Lord, with their children, their male and female servants, with the Levites in their land. And finally, verses 29 through 32, when the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go in to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their lands take heed to yourself that you do not ensnare that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you that you do not inquire after their gods saying how did these nations serve their gods I will also do likewise you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for Every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods for they have burned even their sons and their daughters in the fires to their gods whatever I command you be careful to observe it that you shall not add to it or take away from it so as I was reading that I think innocence is good for us in a day and age where technology has allowed knowledge to basically be, what would they say, um, a mile wide and an inch deep. We have no real true knowledge, but we have a little bit of knowledge. But he said, don't inquire about the nations, the gods they serve, that they would do likewise. Don't even find out about it. Don't even ask about it. Don't even search for it. Many years ago, when I was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and this was many years ago, Pastor Chuck from the pulpit said something about some type of sexual depravity that people were doing. He gave it a name, and I thought, I don't know what that is. And then my next thought was, I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> now today, I know what that Pastor Chuck referred to, but not because I searched it out. I just happened to come upon it, and I've learned since, but I didn't go looking for it. And I think sometimes we trouble our own lives when we go looking for the things that the rest of the world are doing. We are to shamar, to hedge about, about to guard, to keep our hearts. And one way that we do that is by walking in the ways of the Lord that he has given us. The chapter closes with a warning to observe God's commandments, not to add to, not to take away from God's word, a warning that's repeated 
uh, not only here, but in Deuteronomy 4.2 and Proverbs 36 and Revelation 22:18 and 19. It is my prayer that we would be a people who would live holy and acceptable lives before the Lord, that we would keep shamar, we would hedge about our own hearts, the things of the Lord. We would guard ourselves that we might, through Christ Jesus, find rest. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this word that you've given us this night. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.